At that moment, I wasn't know. She was obsessed with men. Any men except Bill Brown. I've never heard of any violence other than that case. Well, first of all, John, when he was younger, he was really into BMX biking. Being at his grandfather's grocery store when he was about five years old, which he enjoyed doing. When he got older, he worked there. Well, I guess that kind of who he was. He enjoyed, he enjoyed a lot of things. He enjoyed like being a free spirit, fun-loving guy. Everybody liked John. He liked to entertain. <laughs> Like, my mom babysat him. Like, my mom is his first cousin. She's his older cousin. And she babysat him throughout his whole life, basically. She attended his trial. Um, he came around probably um, my younger year. Um, coming up. Bill Brown definitely lied. He's a liar. 100%. I feel so sorry for John. I was just saying, I just don't think that he was capable of doing such a thing. I, it just doesn't seem like not the John that I know. It's so obvious. Bill Brown lied. Period. A credible witness should accurately state the facts. But I do know that he was railroaded. Bill Brown, as a witness, has an emotional and personal interest in trial's outcome. His credibility can be challenged for bias. He should be consistent in telling and retelling his story. If he has nothing to gain, financially or personally, credibility isn't a problem. It doesn't make any sense. It's offensive to me because it is showing one side of the story. It's showing Billy's side. It's, it's offensive to me because it's making him out to be a monster. Prosecuting him in the eyes of the media is that's my cousin. You know, it's making him a monster. And I know that that's not what he is. People, people look at me and, they, and as soon as they find out that I'm his cousin, they say, oh, your cousin, didn't he eat a girl? And, I, and it's awful. And they that's the first thing that they say to me. Didn't your cousin eat something? When I was younger, I would get in fights at school because people would say things like that. And the first thing that you want to say to someone is, excuse my language, what the fuck is wrong with you? And so I would say, and these are grown people, not just children, but these would be teachers or teachers' aides. People looking at you like, Oh, well, your cousin was on that documentary, wasn't he? Or, oh, he ate that, that young woman, didn't he? Or, oh, I saw a clip on, on the news or a newspaper clipping about your cousin. And that's offensive and it's awful. And as an adult, you shouldn't be talking to a child like that. And I would actually have my mom come to the school because, as I said, my mom, my grandmother, all my aunts, they went to the trial to watch him every day. And... It was hurtful, and it goes on still to this day. We, the jury, find the defendant, John Ortiz Beagle, guilty of first degree premeditating. <laughs> Hello, this is a prepaid debit call from John Kehoe. An inmate at the Michigan Department of Corrections, Muskegon Correctional Facility. Outside of the courtroom, 
I'll reveal the names of witnesses who took the stand and tell you what they said. You'll find out who was actually involved and learn about the role they played in framing me for a crime I didn't commit. For 20 years, I was silenced by the concrete walls and razor wire that surrounds me. And for 20 years, the media ran with a one-sided version of this case. A version that is full of distorted evidence and outright lies. They gave you sensational headlines. But me, I'm giving you the truth. If you have followed every episode up to this point, then you have heard the story that so many people blindly accept. There are no other eyewitnesses, and there is no smoking gun evidence that reveals what specifically happened. There is only what Bill Brown said. What you will hear now are the testimonies of those people who rallied around him. The people Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey felt were good enough witnesses to persuade the jury into believing that Bill Brown's story could possibly be true. But once they were under oath, some of those witnesses that the prosecutor was counting on refused to simply follow his lead. This is Creating a Cannibal, Episode 7, The Brown Family and Friends. The trial resumed, and Bill Brown was excused from the witness stand. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey then paraded the Brown family and a series of witnesses with questionable motives into the courtroom. Some of the witnesses elaborated on the relationship between John Ortiz Kehoe and Ms. Larner. Others testified about statements they claimed John made detailing Ms. Larner's death and the subsequent cover-up. Nearly every witness characterized Ms. Larner as being obsessed with John and described behavior in which she constantly harassed and stalked him. Because Bill Brown testified that he and John had two visitors while they were at the house in Albion. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey was forced to call Samuel and Tamara to the witness stand before presenting witnesses who would support Bill Brown's story. Tamara testified that she went to the house in Albion at the request of her boyfriend Samuel. Tamara stated that she became nervous when Bill Brown started talking about killing people and disposing of their bodies. Tamara also said that John indicated that he wanted to leave the house immediately with both her and Samuel. Samuel testified that while he was at the house, Bill Brown asked him about his schooling as a police officer and questioned him about the methods for disposing of a human body. When asked about the condition of the house, Samuel said nothing looked out of order, and he did not smell any kind of foul or smoky odors. After Samuel was excused from the witness stand, he got into a heated argument with Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey, in the hallway, just outside of the courtroom. Samuel accused the prosecutor, of trying to twist his testimony and insinuating that he was lying to the jury. And when Tamara was allowed to read a summary report of her interview with Detective Don Brooks, Tamara stated, that the detective added statements in his report that she never said. Nevertheless, Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey pressed on and proceeded to present witnesses, who would be beneficial to his case. Bill Brown's younger brother Daniel Brown, was the first of the Brown family to be summoned to the witness stand. Daniel Brown told the jury, his brother called him shortly after Ms. Larner was killed. According to Daniel Brown, his brother Bill said, that if he didn't come home, 
John had killed him and Ms. Larner. However, when Bill Brown was asked about the phone call, Bill Brown testified that he only told his brother Daniel to say that Ms. Larner was never with him. Defense attorney Jerome Sabota asked Daniel Brown about the numerous false statements he gave to the police. Daniel Brown said, he lied to the police in order to protect his brother Bill. Daniel Brown also admitted that he created several alibis for his brother and he usually tried to craft his stories in a way, that would corroborate what his brother Bill was telling the police. The youngest brother of the Brown family, Derek Brown, was called to the witness stand next. Derek Brown testified, that he heard John threaten to kill Ms. Larner after she smashed his brother's truck. Derek Brown admitted, that he too, lied to the police and helped create an alibi for his brother Bill as well. Derek Brown said, that he was willing to help his brother and he did so, by lying for him, in order to keep his brother Bill from going to prison. When the eldest of the Brown brothers, Russell Brown Jr. was called as a witness, he asserted his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. As a result, the defense was not allowed to question him about the statements he made to Detective Don Brooks during a recorded interview. During the interview, Russell Brown Jr. told Detective Brooks, that John was never upset with Ms. Larner for damaging his brother's truck. Russell Brown Jr. said, that John didn't care, because it wasn't his stuff. Russell Jr. also told the detective that John and his friends were afraid of him, thus contradicting what Bill Brown and assistant prosecutor Kelsey were telling the jury. Russell Brown Jr. then revealed, that during the time period when Ms. Larner was killed, his brother Bill, was consuming crazy amounts of cocaine. Russell Brown Jr.'s testimony would have been extremely damaging to the prosecution's case. To keep the jury from hearing Russell Brown Jr.'s prior statements, assistant prosecutor Kelsey used a crafty legal maneuver. Russell Brown Jr. was allowed to assert his Fifth Amendment privilege, because he helped his brother Bill Brown destroy the fire pit at their family's lakeside property. If he was not involved in the crime, he would not have been able to plead the Fifth. Although, assistant prosecutor Kelsey could have easily granted Russell Brown Jr., immunity from prosecution, and allowed the jury to hear the testimony of a witness, who was actually involved in the crime. Granting him immunity, would not have damaged any future prosecution of Russell Brown Jr., because the Calhoun County Prosecutor's Office, never intended on charging him for being an accessory, despite the fact, that Bill Brown admitted that his brother Russell Jr., helped him destroy evidence at their family's lakeside property. After the jury heard from Russell Sr. and his sons, assistant prosecutor Kelsey produced several witnesses with close ties to the Brown family. Shelley Wood was called to the witness stand. Shelley Wood accompanied John and Bill Brown, during their marijuana delivery run to Grand Rapids, in the hours before Ms. Larner joined the men. Shelley Wood testified, that she was present when John and Ms. Larner got into a fight, just days prior to Ms. Larner's disappearance. Ms. Wood claimed, that during the fight, John and Ms. Larner were throwing rocks at each other, and John hit Ms. Larner in the head with a brick. Shelley Wood also revealed, that in a previous confrontation between herself and Rose Larner, Ms. Larner pulled a gun on her, and threatened to shoot her. Following Shelley Wood's testimony, a close friend of the Brown family, Michelle Brandenburg was called to the witness stand. Ms. Brandenburg claimed, that John confided in her, 
that he was going to kill Ms. Larner, even though, she had only met John, once or twice. Michelle Brandenburg came forward with her claim, midway through John's trial, and Ms. Brandenburg admitted, that she consulted with the Brown family before going to the police with her story. Assistant Prosecutor Kelsey referred to Michelle Brandenburg, as a quality witness. Two women who said they once traveled to Chicago with John, were also called to the stand. Sarah Milligan and Carrie Ferguson both accused John of grabbing Sarah Milligan by the throat, when Ms. Milligan asked John if he killed Rose Larner. Carrie Ferguson told the jury, that John grabbed Sarah's throat and told her that she didn't know what she was talking about. When Ms. Ferguson was asked why she previously told the police, that John grabbed Sarah Milligan by the arms and said, I didn't kill her, we all did. Carrie Ferguson said that detective must have misquoted her in his report. Sarah Milligan also testified, that John grabbed her by the throat. However, according to Ms. Milligan's version of the incident, John told her, the bitch got what she deserved. Sarah Milligan was asked why she previously told the police that when John grabbed her, he said, I wasn't the only one involved. Sarah Milligan said the detective must have been mistaken. Sarah Milligan also revealed that she was interviewed by the Michigan State Police and the FBI, as a result of her ties to members of Russell Brown Jr.'s drug operation. Nonetheless, two witnesses for the prosecution testified that Bill Brown also made statements about killing Ms. Larner, and Brown himself admitted, he considered it a status symbol, that people thought he killed someone. Michelle Gearhart testified, that Bill Brown talked about killing someone, and burying the body parts at his family's property up north. Ms. Gearhart also said, that John Ortiz Kehoe once joked that he had killed before, and he would kill again. And Joel Torres, a childhood friend of Russell Brown Jr., told the jury that Bill Brown said he snapped Ms. Larner's neck, then chopped her up, burned her, and ate her body. Yet, as dubious as all of the prosecution's witnesses had been thus far, none of those witnesses were as nefarious as the men assistant prosecutor Kelsey, was about to show. Because the prosecution, was now going to ask the jury to believe the testimony, of several jailhouse informants. The Brown family and friends all came out in support of Bill, and assistant prosecutor Kelsey used every trick up his sleeve to keep Russell Jr.'s big mouth from ruining his case. Obviously, the prosecutor rather let an accomplice walk free than let the truth be told. So if the prosecutor's ethical standards were in question thus far, let's see how much respect you'll have for him after he calls his next round of shady witnesses to the stand. Next time, in episode eight, Jailhouse Snitch. The first jailhouse informant to testify for the prosecution was Michigan prison inmate Chad Scott. The detective also told Mr. Larrier that if he didn't cooperate, they would talk to the parole board against his parole and make sure he would have problems in prison. Thank you for listening to Creating a Cannibal, an MRI production. Make sure you follow me on social media and check out my blog for a more in-depth look at how I was framed. Creating a Cannibal is a podcast produced under Emeron Productions. Gerardo G. Gonzalez Jr., Robert D. Tab, and Lucas Sampson are editorial advisors. Emerald Santos, our executive producer and the one who mixed our show. Our theme music, Our Excellent Adventure and France vs. Korea, composed by Ari De Niro. Our website is creatingacannibal.wordpress.com. Special thanks to Mr. John Ortiz Kehoe for sharing his side of story.
Also visit John's blog website where you can see documents from the case, johnortiz-kiho.blogspot.com. <laughs> <laughs>